Welcome listeners to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast joining me via Zoom, and we hope that our Zoom connection works well and you can hear Wes well, is my friend Wes Hawes. Welcome to the podcast, Wes. Oh, thank you for having me. I think, are you in an airport right now? I am, yes. So I think you're in the Boise airport. So if you hear um, airline announcements or people in the background, that's just the reality of these days with Zoom. But I think you'll hear Wes just fine. Um, by way of background, Wes is going to share his story like many other guests as a gay Latter-day Saint. Wes is 38. He is um, grew up in the church in Idaho. He served a mission in New Jersey. He married a woman and they're now divorced. He will talk about coming out to her in the dating process and and just about that marriage that end up, did end up in divorce. Um, Rex will talk about, or Wes will talk about um, a serious brain injury. He was a victim of a near fatal um, attack. And he'll talk about that. He'll talk about um, eventually being excommunicated from the church. He's respectful for the church. Um, but just making his best way forward. He will probably talk about his career as an owner of um, a series of aquariums and what he's doing in that space. But our joint hope is just hearing all these different stories you're listening to just helps bring us together as the same human family. And we humanize people and we honor people and we recognize, you know, most of my guests are just trying to do the best with the realities of their lives. And Hopefully, if you're younger, Wes's insights will help you. If you're a family member that has gay people in your life, Wes's experience will help you. And our goal in all these podcasts is not to divide us, but to find principles that can bring us together, even in lots of differences. Is that okay, Wes, for an introduction? Yeah, that's great. Thank you. So I don't know if you want to, why don't you take us to... Um, wherever you want to start, you could start about getting, you know, as you're approaching marriage and realizing you're gay and actually talking about this before you're married, or you could start before then or wherever you want to. Um, I think I mean, it's, it's not much to mention, but I do, I do remember feelings even in second grade and feeling different and feeling, and then I'm not sure where it went from just feelings to knowing, but it definitely was somewhere in junior high, middle school area. I knew, I knew I was, I knew I was gay, and I was different. Um, I, I kept that in. I never told anybody, and I don't. From what I've heard, nobody ever suspected. <laughs> so, um, I uh, did a lot to hide and, and repress my feelings and, and push it down, and just do the best I can within the church. I, I graduated, then I, I went on a mission. I served in New Jersey. Um, I, uh, after my mission, I started tying rebar for a dome company and I started traveling all over and uh, building these dome houses. Then I, I knew I, I did put the elder family services and had some, had some therapy around it. Uh, uh, did the evergreen workbook and did some work around that. I, um, but other than that, I, I kept it inside from everybody. Um, after that, I I returned home from Indonesia. I built 80 houses there for earthquake victims of these dome houses. Uh, and I decided that it was time to get married. I was 24. And that's when I started dating. I really never dated at all before that. 
never felt comfortable doing it. Um, it wasn't long. I, Alyssa, I'd, I'd taken her to a high school dance when I was a, when I was a senior and she was a junior eight years before that. Um, and I really liked her then. And I went on one other date and she, and then she kind of blew me off. But <laughs> over the next eight years, we probably maybe contacted once a year. Like when I left on my mission, when I got home, when she left on her mission, when she got home, we kind of kept in contact. Uh, maybe went out to dinner twice during that time. And then when she got home off her mission, I was planning a trip to uh, Ethiopia. And her mom kind of set it up. She like got a suitcase full of this stuff to donate to Ethiopia, but made Alyssa bring it to me <laughs> a week after her mission. Um, and so she brought it to me and I asked her on a date. And, uh, and then we dated for the next six months. Um, you still hear me okay? <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and she was just an amazing person. I, I, I just love her to death. She still is. Um, after we dated about four months, um, I, one small incident happened and she kind of was like, just had a little bit of suspicion and I decided, you know what, I can't live my life like this hiding. So, um, I took her and, uh, I told her the truth. I told her I was gay. Um, we had a lot of talks around it. Then she came to me saying that she needed support. So I went with her, told her parents, and then we decided to go to the um, Elder Family Services, my therapist there, and, and meet the bishop and work through it. And we decided that to get married anyway. Um, I think. It was kind of the church culture at the time uh, that we were able to push it out anyway. And I still feel, I'm not sure how, how I feel, but I still feel um, I don't have any anger against the church or what, what I was told or the advice I was given. Um, but um, it, was, it was interesting to navigate. And I, I'm not sure if I really fully made the choice, even though it looked like I did, because um, I really didn't know what was out there, what my options were. Uh, Alyssa, I mean, she was the first girl I ever kissed, or uh, first person I ever kissed. And so I'd never I'd had any of these experiences. And so um, I was still I was swept away. So um, we got married in February 11th, 2008. It was supposed to be 248, but President Hinckley died and it delayed the temple opening in Rexford, Idaho, one week. And so we delayed our last minute, we delayed our wedding one week so we could still be the first ones married in the Rexford Temple. Um, and so we were married there. Uh, and we, then we went on our honeymoon to Ethiopia. I had built an orphanage out of uh, a domes there earlier and it sponsored. A child there named Asafin, and we went there on our honeymoon for six weeks and worked in that orphanage uh, and helped out. And we decided to adopt that 11 year old boy on our honeymoon. Wow. <laughs> we, uh, we'd, we'd fallen in love with him. Um, and the adoption process wasn't going that well, like even a year later. 
And, and uh, we had a friend, Paul Morrell, who was doing projects in Africa, and I asked how I could help. Um, and I ended up uh, uh, running a farming operation over there. We bought 27,000 acres of virgin land, and we were clearing it and built a farm center out there. And when we decided to move there, while we were, while we were on our honeymoon, there was four other kids that we, we just fell in love with. They were beautiful. They were amazing kids. Um, they were Muslim, and their parents had died of AIDS. And um, we uh, decided to adopt them, too. And so we brought all five of them out on the farm with us and had them out there. Uh, brought them into our family. When we moved to Ethiopia, we had an eight-month-old, uh, Everett. He was eight months. And so we had six kids out on the farm. After I'd been out there a few months, I was out running a GPS unit one day, cutting a property line. And a villager uh, jumped out from a bush and shot me in the back of the head with a wood axe. Wow. Uh, um, he, we'd, we'd bought the land from the government and there were squatters living on the land and uh, he was 17 and his parents had died. So they wouldn't give him any money for his land. So he thought if he killed me, the project would end. Uh, everything changed. That was, two, that was August 22nd, 2010. We, I had emergency brain surgery in Ethiopia. Uh, and then two weeks later, they life flooded me to Dubai. And then I was there for almost two weeks and then I came to America. Had another brain surgery in America. Um, Alyssa then went back to Ethiopia. She stayed there for the next six months trying to finish the adoption to bring them to America. And I stayed, I stayed here in Idaho, had the other surgery and was trying to recover. Um, it was a few months later, it was May, the kids were able to come uh, and to America. Uh, over the next over the next few years, I I, I lost everything. <laughs> I, um, I had some rental properties. I had uh, I, I tried a few businesses. I failed. I, I I eventually ended up on food stamps and disability, um, and that was that was definitely the darkest period of my life. <laughs> Thanks for being so honest, Wes. I mean, thanks for being so honest. A lot of vulnerability here. Yeah, and I, I, I know the it was it was always really hard. The gay, the gay portion of it was always so taxing on me and so hard to um, deal with on a daily basis. I, I, but I. I felt like I almost used being injured as an excuse, um, as my excuse for not living my life. Uh, it, I mean, it was obviously, it was bad. Um, and I couldn't do a whole lot for a long time. But when it came to doing stuff with my family or being intimate or anything, I just, I just said, oh, I'm sick. Oh, I'm doing this. Oh, I'm hurt. I can't do this. And... Um, and when I, the entire time I had trouble with pornography and it was, it was throughout my whole life, um, even on my honeymoon, like <laughs> it was always a thing. And when I wasn't doing anything, I'd lost everything that got worse. Um, and antidepressants, and that, like, it just all came from my Yeah. So, I mean, uh, 
all aspects of my life is going downhill at this point. Um, <laughs> I, and one of the things that I did while I was not doing a whole lot is I, I got a fish tank and I fell in love with this fish tank. I fell in love with the chemistry. Looking at the fish was therapy. I learned about coral and saltwater fish and built my own system. <laughs> and um, then I joined the reef group and I made some friends and went to the reef meetings and where we trade coral and things. And then I saw an opportunity. I started taking care of doctor's offices and hospitals and building tanks for people in their houses. I built a little maintenance business. Um, so it sounds kind of cheesy, but all aspects of my life because of this fish tank, the therapy of watching the tank, the social of meeting people, the, the business and making money off of it, where I could start feeling like I supported my family at least in some way. <laughs> Um, and it made, it made a huge difference in my life. And then a friend, a friend from the reef groups had always wanted to build a public aquarium in Idaho Falls. And I was like, I can help you. I'm a project guy. So, uh, we rented an old movie theater and did this project off lots of donations and volunteers and, uh, sponsorships and 17 Eagle Scout projects. And we put together this little public aquarium, um, and uh, it was it was it was small and it was uh, low budget, but it was really good. People loved it, and and it was really a fun thing to build. And then I saw an opportunity for bigger cities, and um, I won't get into a whole bunch of detail, but uh, I uh, there's a lot of big cities without aquariums in America, mid mid sized cities anyway. Uh, and I saw an opportunity, and I and I built. Uh, and I ended up building three more aquariums. One of the first one was in Spokane and I got the contract to start building that aquarium and I moved to Spokane by myself um, away from my family. And this was my worst point. I was 80 pounds heavier at that point. Um, uh, did not look well, didn't feel well. But I did, I did have this inkling of an opportunity of something and I was doing something on my own. And I went there and I was on my own every night. And I'm like, I can't live this life of just pornography every night and not getting out, not just being inward. Not. Um, so that's when I got into fitness and I started lifting weights and I started doing, I tried to do some other fitness things. And it really, really started to change where I had a little opportunity to earn income. Then I had, a, then I had fitness and I got a therapist. Then I'm like, okay, what am I doing every night? <laughs> um, and, and it wasn't perfect. It's not a fairy tale. I, I, I eventually got to where I was listening to a podcast, uh, uh, a hidden brain podcast, a psychological podcast. And there was an episode about a boy who went on a date. He was gay and, and he used, used a dating app. Um, I was like, oh, what's that? And so I download it. <laughs> um, and I start... I start chatting with with people um, on this dating app, and it, there's one person in particular I chatted for like two weeks, and you know it says that they're two miles away, and I'm just chatting, and I have these feelings that I've never felt before. I didn't date in high school. I didn't do anything. I like like those butterflies in your stomach, the feelings that like, <laughs> that I've never experienced. People tell me about it, or I watch the movies about the love story, or whatever else, but. Um, I started to feel some of those feelings 
at that moment. And I, um, and then uh, eventually, I I went on I went on a date with somebody in Spokane who um, was twenty nine years old. Uh, took me to a took me to a Mexican restaurant. What I wanted, he ordered a gin and tonic, and I'm like, okay, I'll try that. Like I had no idea. So, <laughs> uh, that was the first first night I tried alcohol. Um, then he took me dancing. First time I really been on the dance floor and enjoyed it and like felt all those feelings. Uh, like and and that experience was stuff I'd never experienced before uh in my life. Uh and that was that was the night that I cheated <laughs> on my poor life. <laughs> I, <laughs> And the next, uh, uh, like a week, like a week or so later, she came to visit, and everything, everything had changed in my mind. Like it was like a light switch, and this. This breaks my heart more than anything in the whole world. The fact that she loved me a hundred percent so deeply and everything just turned off on me overnight. <laughs> uh, I don't know how I built a life with her. I had kids and I felt nothing. I tried to be intimate. Nothing happened. <laughs> it was gone. <laughs> uh, um, so then she left and over the next week I, I mentioned some things I was struggling with with the church on the phone with her um, and one time I was talking about struggles with the church and there was a long pause on the phone um, this is about three weeks after I cheated and you know a week after a week or week and a half after she'd come and she had a long pause on the phone and she said if, if, if you're not going to be part of the church, why are you with me? You're gay. And I like, everything hit me. Like, <laughs> that's what we built an entire marriage on. Church. That wasn't, that wasn't anything else in her mind. <laughs> um, I, I didn't really know how to deal with that or process that but I knew it was time to be honest so the next day I called her and I said um, after what you said I mean this happened it happened three weeks ago uh, uh, she immediately you know hung up and she drove to Spokane the next day and a lot of talks a lot of tears a lot of and we went and we went uh my daughter was there living with us. She was spoken state conference and she, uh, and then me and Alyssa afterwards, we found the state president and we asked if we could talk with him and sat down and talked with him, told him, told him everything. And he said, let me work with Wes and let's see what we can do. Um, within a couple of days, she had decided that she was, she was moving to Spokane and moving the whole family immediately. 
Um, the stake president called her and said, do not do that. We can't put West back in a box right now and expect this to work. It never will. I need to work with him and you need to stay in, in Rexburg. Um, which was, he was exactly right. And it was, I'm so grateful for him. I, every week with him over the next four or five months. And he loved me and talked to me and supported me. Um, uh, Alyssa, Alyssa came to the conclusion that she would wait six months no matter what I did. Uh, she felt like she got that answer from God. And for a while, I, I was kind of, I kind of mocked her. Not, not to her face, but I kind of mocked that idea because I was not getting any closer <laughs> to coming back. Um, but now, it's just in the last six months, I have realized that I don't know. I don't know if that was a gift from her or a gift from God or a gift from God through her. But if she gave me six months to really work through and settle what I wanted and didn't just hand me divorce papers the next week. <laughs> and that was a gift that she gave me that even though I never came any closer to coming back, she, I'm, I'm grateful for that now. More than, more than anybody can imagine. Um, but I was getting ready. I finished the aquarium in Spokane and I was getting ready to leave. And the stake president, well, it's time. It's time, it's time to do the disciplinary council. And I wanted to do that. I, I didn't, I wanted to go through the process. I wanted to do things right. I wanted to um, not just quit going or write my name off or whatever else people do. I, 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 I felt like the church and God deserved that for me at least. Um, so we scheduled the, we scheduled the disciplinary council and we, I went with 16 men in a room um, and I spent two hours telling them my story and people, people give me weird looks, but it was the most beautiful experience. Oh, are you still there? Yes. Uh, people, people laughed. Uh, I don't, I think it's weird, but I, it was the most beautiful experience in my life. Everybody was crying. Everybody was understanding, and they decided to excommunicate me. And I met with the stake president a few days later, and he broke down and he said, you changed every one of those men's lives. They all have a different feeling about what it means to be gay and to struggle with what you struggle with and what happened. And I kept in contact with a couple of them and, and, and in contact with the state president. He's been amazing. Um, but it was, it was an amazing experience for me. And I wouldn't change it for anything. Um, even though I've chosen a, a different path. Um, I... I, 
after the six months, I was not anywhere. I wasn't any closer. I had gained so much by choosing by choosing to be authentic and choosing to be who I am. I like I made a choice, and and I understand that most gay uh, men don't have quite the freedom I had. I I was older. I happened to have money. I was my own boss. I could just completely be open and honest with everybody with no consequences whatsoever. Um, and, and I, for a while I was like, Oh, everybody else would just do that. But it's not as easy. People have careers and lives and families and um, parents and religion. And there's so much to teach them from um, just being open and honest and or being open with people. It's not a, that's not a dishonest thing, but, but I was able to do that. Like I just said, okay, here I am. This is, there's not two versions of Wes anymore. And that was so freeing and so liberating to me that I, I can't turn away from that. In fact, I would even say that when I decided that I was, I was me and I chose to love myself. It's the first day I really, truly felt God's love in my life. Like, that he loved and accepted me on where I was in my path, no matter what. And, and, I don't, and I don't really know what that means, but I know there's some deep connection between uh, God's love and the love for myself. But <laughs> um, I'm trying to figure out uh, and navigate, but like this new, this new open me is, it's so important. And I guess to go along with that, I, I, even though I'm openly gay and I have, and I have a partner and I have chosen this path, I don't want anybody to feel like their past not valid. I believe that um, if I, I even believe that if I would have worked through myself and got to the point I am now and then chose the church and then chose to marry a woman or then chose to be single or then chose whatever, whatever path I chose, I could do that. Um, as long as I'm healthy first and I've worked through everything. I, I don't I don't have any feelings toward anybody's past or which which way they go that way. Um, and I get a lot of I get a lot of criticism from a lot of people for feeling this way <laughs> on both sides. Because <laughs> um, I'm 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 really middle ground and really feel like God has our own journey for each of us. And we are we're meant to progress and move forward. And for some of us, progressing and looking forward looks completely different than the other one. And it can be a little bit messy. <laughs> um, but that's that's where that's where I'm at. I've after I built Baton Rouge, I'd lived in each of these places eight to ten months. Um, besides at that point, I, I dropped pretty much all hobbies and extracurricular activities. It was mostly my coming out takes a lot of work, and so does building a business. And that's pretty much all I did for a little while. Um, and now I'm in Boise. 
uh, working with another uh, company to build my business and been here for a few months, kind of just settling in again. I still love to travel. I love to be in lots of places. I love to meet new people. I love, um, I love so much about the new me. Uh, I, I was so insecure. I, that night on the dance floor was so new for me. Or I never, I never blessed the sacrament. When I they asked me to get up and talk in church, I said no. I quit a soccer team in sixth grade because they practice shirts versus skins. Never went swimming. I, I I was super shy. Most of my high school, most high school, I was the kid with the head was head down. Um, I did a lot of activities. I was still I did football, I did band, I did stuff, but I wasn't very socially there, and I was always insecure. Uh, and so this new journey of accepting and loving myself has has changed everything. It's all new to me. Um, and I make a lot of mistakes along the way. It's really kind of where I am. You know, thanks, Wes, on behalf of all of our listeners, just for your courage. Here you are, you know, I'm seeing the airport in the background and just people walking past you and you're kind of sharing your honest, vulnerable story with tears in your eyes and in the background are people just going about your their business. It's kind of symbolic of your life in some ways. And um, it'll, and perhaps all of us at times, we're not aware of each individual story as we're kind of going about. It takes a lot of courage to do what you just did um, and share this. And it may, there may be parts of this that are uncomfortable for some listeners or maybe not, but this is just a platform where it's a safe place to share stories. And you're, I think, there's a few things I really loved about your story. I loved, um, I loved this relationship this priesthood leader had with you, and it seemed to be very helpful for you. Um, and I don't look at it as a failure because you ended up getting excommunicated. I don't think you look at it that either. It was a, I think it sounded like it was a positive process in your life, and they could show empathy and compassion, and the same time go through the process that they needed to do to result in your excommunication and it wasn't a divisive thing in your life and it was a positive thing in your life i think you recognized the doctrine of our church and you weren't leaving living it and it probably wasn't much of a surprise but i love that this relationship with the stake prison i wonder if partly the reason you're you know i think one of the things i'm inferring from your podcast is you're not bitter and angry at the church is partly because of this priesthood leader experience that you know, he didn't sell out the doctrine of our church. He still did what he needed to do as a priesthood leader, but he showed a love, a lot of love, understanding, compassion, and empathy. And I, I like that part of your story. Um, you also said something really profound. Well, you said a lot of things really profound, and they will resonate with different listeners. But you also said something that um, I was my best person. I became my best personal self. And if I had done this earlier, I don't know. You know, I think you sort of inferred that maybe, I think what the, I got from it without inferring anything is for LGBTQ Latter-day Saints, become your best personal self before you decide your path. And it is easier for younger people to do that because there's just more support and there's more stories like yours. But if you're, 
in your teens or 20s and you haven't really decided your path and you decided the path of a mixed orientation marriage and really tried to make that work. But I think one of the great messages of your podcast is be, become the best personal, your best personal self, which you have become, but try to do that before you decide exactly what your future is and spend your teens and perhaps of your early 20s doing that so you can know the best path for you going forward. Any more thoughts on that? Oh, absolutely. It's, um, and to go along with becoming your best personal self, you have to figure out how to love yourself and be okay with who you are and where you're at. Um, because we're all in a different journey and we all have our trials and what's traumas and whatever, uh, whatever you want to call it. Um, we have to we have to work through that and and i think i think it i think it's harder to work through that when you're told there's only one way or you're told this is the only way or you're told um and, and, it, and it's, i'm not just talking about religion uh culture family uh our own our own doubts our own limitations all of those things can play together to make it so you don't you just have everything set for you and you don't become your personal self. I like the way you said that <laughs> your best personal self first, whatever that is um, in all aspects. And like, and one other thought that goes with that is when I say all aspects, I mean, it does matter. Physical matters, emotional matters, spiritual matters, financial matters, like all those things can build confidence and build your best self. Um, and so, and I think people don't do a good job of balancing that either. They think that the only thing I'll fix this, if I get more spiritual or I'll fix this, if I do this, or I'll fix this, if I work on my relationships, but really like it really all matters. And it's, and it's okay that it's okay that money matters to make your best self. It's okay that spending your time on your body and going to the gym and taking care of yourself and deciding to dress better and, and put yourself out there in a better light. That, that matters too. And so becoming your best self, um, I know a podcast like this, talk about spiritual journey and talk about emotions and that matters too, but this other stuff matters just as much. So like, um, if you can gain a little confidence by having a savings account or starting a business, or go to the gym, like, they give you confidence to move forward to be your best self in all the other areas. And, and a big one is therapy. I get so frustrated at so many people who just think that it's a crazy people or they say, Oh yeah, it sounds nice and never actually do it. <laughs> um, the only reason that I'm able to sit here at this podcast and talk to you in a way it's vulnerable and open and that you can understand is because of three years of intense therapy. <laughs> like, um, like it's you can talk about if you want to have a career, you have to learn a learn a path. You have to be a, whatever whatever you learn. But emotional intelligence is super important too to be able to share your feelings, and communicate, and, and and even in even if you still don't think therapy is for yourself, and you still are under this idea that it's not okay at least do it for the people around you so that you can then teach them and help them with concepts that they need, which is 
so important. Someday your kid's going to be struggling and not know what to do. And you're going you're gonna to want to teach him something that you have no idea what to teach him or what to say to him. And so even if you're using therapy as a service project so that you can serve others later, at least do it for that. Uh, and just, I think that's all part of what you said, becoming your best self. I love um, the way you humanize and therapy and weak people don't need therapy or this sort of, we sort of have culturally have created potentially a, a feeling about therapy. And um, I love that you normalize therapy and, and actually um, help because if want other people to do that and even to invite others in our lives to um, consider therapy that need therapy. We, sometimes we need Jesus and a therapist and, um, it helps us to become our best personal selves. Um, I'm struck with just what a good spot you're in, Wes. Um, if I sort of list all the incredible curveballs, you almost died in Ethiopia and you're actually trying to help, you know, that country. And there's a side of your story you haven't directly called out, but there's this very, um, wanting to serve other people that's core to you. And Adopting kids is a big deal. Um, it costs time and money. Going to Ethiopia and these other countries you've done, um, there's a labor of love component in that. And um, you almost died. And you could be really angry at God and say, why did you let that villager? And you may have been at times. Um, you know, and why did I, you know, you know, it's just you've had some real serious curveballs in your life and you could be bitter, you could be angry, you could have no belief in God. Talk about your very darkest time. I think you kind of inferred it was kind of back when you came back and financial challenges and just what got you out. And you've kind of talked about this, but I'd love you to just talk about the darkest time in your life and what got you out of that so that other listeners that might be in the darkest time of their life can feel some of the hope that you can give them and I don't know if you got suicidal during that time. Anything you want to talk about, about that? Um, before my mission, there was, there was a dark time that was, was, that was suicidal and, and really hard. And then, you know, you think going on a mission and doing the right things can fix it. Um, and I struggled. I struggled throughout my whole mission. Obviously, like I said, I could barely bless the sacrament, let alone knock on doors or, any of that <laughs> it was it was it was a lot of struggle that way socially and you know working with companions and um that was all it was all very hard for a very long time uh and then after the accident when then then you have nothing um you're not providing for your family you're not leaving the house you're not you choose not to do the family activities you uh you stay home and don't do stuff i it all just just compounds and it feels like no way out. Um, yeah. And I'm sure everyone in the world's heard this, but if you continue to do what you've always done, you'll always you'll continue to get what you've always got. <laughs> and, and it is, it can be as simple as you want it to be. If you've, um, and, and, Sometimes it's better to tackle the small things, whether that is fitness is a wonderful one. <laughs> like 
it's 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 one of the biggest ones i would say if you can get out of the house and do something anything that you love or you rock climbing or weightlifting or anything because 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 along with that then you have the hormone change and things feel better well but but it's just a feeling of a little bit of success whether it's oh i lost i did lose 10 pounds and it worked or i did do this or all oh, my muscles are a little bigger or 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 any other journey um i i talk to people all the time and i'm like okay so what books do you read oh i don't read books i'm like okay well uh, maybe that would be a good change from from Netflix because uh, we're, we're watching TV, which is super negative and super down. Like, so what can we do? It's a little thing. I mean, and the options are endless. I I can't read anymore. I'm half blind. I, I write half of both eyes, um, and so I do I do audiobooks and podcasts. And podcasts are a simple way to digest a little bit in a in a way that people understand without having to dig into a huge book. Um, there's, there's books that are simpler. I, I actually, uh, digging into a self-help book makes me fall asleep like it does most people. And so I have a rule that I only listen to 15 minutes and then I switch to my science fiction for 15 minutes and then I go back and forth. Uh, the, the small things matter. Like, there's, there's this retreat that I went to, this three-day retreat for LDS men um, who experienced some sort of sexual problem, addiction or same-sex attraction or anything. And I've, I've tried to get so many people to go, just say, hey, give up three days and go in the mountains and do this journey and just focus on this. And people, the idea of that is so weird and off, like, off and they've never even heard of it and there's no way they would ever go outside their box and do something like that <laughs> like um or i mean there's a hundred little things that you have to just do something different um like i guarantee in the community there's there's a place where you can go and do an art project with a bunch of people in the middle of the night that you've never done before or um one thing that I always wanted to do was join the ice hockey team. And it's so intimidating. Uh, and this year I joined the ice hockey team and I'm terrible. I'm really terrible. I, I fall. I don't know the rules. The ref yells at me all the time. People get mad at me. And then I'm so uncomfortable in the locker room with all the manly guys. And <laughs> like, uh, But I did it and I refused to give up. <laughs> and, and, uh, whatever whatever it is something completely different than you've always done and one of the big ones i tell people is it's so good just to pack up and move to a new city if you have to just to kick you in the pants to do something different a different environment a different tree when you walk out your door a different anything <laughs> just just to shake it up and change what your situation is whatever you have to do Go live with family in another city, go do on a vacation, go volunteer in an orphanage in another country for six weeks. Literally anything that you can possibly think of that's outside of your box and your comfort zone, do it. Even if it's complete disaster and you mess it up or you get nothing out of it, at least you did something different. That's a long answer to what you said. <laughs> it's a great answer and it takes a lot of courage to do what you've done. And I you know, you're 38 self, you're 38 right now, if I've got that right. You're, you know, you're very, in a very different spot than you thought you'd be, but it's a, 
but where you are, you're really authentic and you're really honest and you're really at peace with yourself. And there's not two of you. There's just one of you. And I like where you said that, you know, you really felt God's love as you became authentic with who you are. And um, it's, I hope you give yourself a lot of self-love with what you've accomplished professionally, personally. Listeners, when I do a podcast where a marriage is ended, I, it's just the reality of some marriages. I'm not trying to lift one spouse over the other or sort of validate one over the other. It's just the reality of some marriages fail. Some straight marriages fail, some mixed orientation marriage fails. And I, I try not to look for the hero or the villain in a marriage. Um, just recognize that a marriage failed and I'm going to try to do my best to support, you know, people as they move forward and, and provide hope and healing. And, and it's just complicated. Um, I do have respect for you that you had the courage to come out to your wife um, and try to navigate this with full knowledge and it still didn't work. And I also have respect to you. You're not saying this is my story, make it your story. That's a theme of our podcast as we try if you're LGBTQ, don't listen to Wes and say, that's my story. Listen to Wes and say, are there principles in his story that help me write my story? And I think there are. Um, and I think listening to other stories help you make a more informed decision about your best path forward. And if you're in a path already, there may be principles that Wes is sharing that help you, if you're committed to that path, to do the very best you can. There are things if you're in a mixed orientation, for example, marriage, I would hope there's, and you want to stay in that marriage, I would hope there's things that Wes has said that will help you to become a better self. So if your goal is to make that work, you can make it work, even though for Wes that didn't work. Um, I love, oh, you know, another guest who's in a mixed orientation marriage and and this marriage is working sort of talked about how people sometimes are more in love with making the marriage covenant than each other. They sort of culturally get caught up with or doctrinally caught up with just making that covenant. There's great blessings that come in that marriage covenant. And her caution was to, you know, make sure that there's a really good foundation in that engagement process and to make that covenant in a situation where there's a really strong committed relationship. Now, I don't want to sort of imply that didn't exist, but I think it's just good in your situation, Wes, but I just think that's good advice for anybody that's wanting to be married um, to make sure that the, the core of their relationship's in a really good place. I was glad you talked a little bit about pornography and just sort of um, said that was part of your life. That's something, listeners, I invite people to try to put behind them, but often it's, because I... I don't think pornography leads to a good outcome, but often it's an escape mechanism or it's a way to deal or a way to escape or a way to find connection. And so, yeah, listeners, I believe that's a sin, but often it's above, it's stuff that I think is above the iceberg. And to really, if you have porn use in your life, I think you have to figure out what's at the bottom of the iceberg and really understand what's going on there as a key step to be able to end porn use. Um, often just white knuckling it isn't the path to be able to put that behind you, but try to understand what's at the bottom of your iceberg. And often good therapy can help you do that. And um, often getting in a better emotional spot and getting a connection with other things can help you put that behind you. So I appreciate you being honest with just your journey with that. Um, it, we're kind of coming to the end and 
I, I don't know if you want to elaborate on anything I said or just more thoughts came in your story you'd like to share with listeners. I think two things go along with that. When you say pornography use, I think you're right. It's a different, it's an underlying element. I don't know if I could say the actual doing it is wrong or bad, but the reason why we do things because we're sad or lonely or angry. Um, obviously, I have a different set of values now than I did in church. That's true, but, and that's fair. But 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 porn is not something I do now because it represented the fat, depressed, uh, antidepressant me who was repressed and had issues. And so it's if I do that now, I feel like that fat man again, like that person who just that unhealthy, repressed person. It brings me back there instantly. And so I I don't have anything morally against it, uh, but the way we use it is is. There's, there's an underlying issue, just like you said, and like it, we have to work through that um, in, in whatever way we can, therapy. And then the, I guess the, the last thing that's kind of important for me to say is like, I think with my path and what I said, you know, change and do and go and find something different to do, there's a, there's a lot because I do that, I have hurt a lot of people <laughs> along the way. And I feel like I've become my best self for getting there. I have a long way to go. I can't say that. But like every time I move or change or leave a certain group of people and move to the next and do this, people are hurt. People are angry. A lot of people don't like me. And it's the most painful thing. Uh, and I have not figured out how to move forward and on onward without hurting people. Maybe it's impossible, <laughs> but it's, it's my biggest regret in my whole journey. And I, and I'm not sure what to do about it. I have a lot of work to figure that out. <laughs> how we, how we make changes and move forward without hurting people. Um, but I, but it's something that it, it does wear on me because I, I don't want to be where I was 20, 10, 20 steps ago, whatever, whatever that looked like. But every time I move on, whether it's in business or personal or whatever, people get left behind. Um, and I don't know, people tell me, okay, well, if it's a bad friend group, you've got to go to the next friend group or you got to do this. You got to move up, you got to move on. But it's so painful when somebody gets hurt because you choose to move on. And I think that's some reason. Sometimes we don't don't move on because we know we're going to hurt somebody or leave somebody or do something. Um, and it's something I really don't have the answer for. But it's something I felt like I had to mention. <laughs> it's a really honest segment. It's sort of your mantra, Wes, is being honest. And I think honesty, we recognize we've hurt people. And sometimes when we're hurt, we're more likely to hurt people. But you're very self-aware um, of just people that you've hurt as you've been making your way forward. And I think that's one of the key first steps to just healing for people that have been hurt is that people are aware that they've caused pain in their life. And Sometimes listeners, I say you can't be everybody's savior that you've hurt. You've got to just some of the people that have been hurt. Um, 
you know, it's hard to fix the hurt. You have to kind of leave it the savior at some point there to help the hurt go away. I've, it's just complicated, but I recognize your good heart and your self-awareness. And I think we, and I just sense your desire to do the best going forward. I, I hope listeners picked up with your porn use that you don't use porn, even though I, I hope listeners picked up that where you are in life, you don't, you're not doing that because it's your, you know, because your faith is telling you not to do that. You've just come to the conclusion that it's not healthy for you um, because you're making decisions on being the very best Wes. And it brings you back to that time in your life that you don't want to be connected with. And, and that it was a time of your life that perhaps you were using porn to escape from the realities of your situation and keeping you from moving forward. And so I think there's a really good lesson there that you've shared with us that's helpful to those that are trying to put porn behind them to replace that with other things that then are more healthy and, and help you sort of address the realities of your life versus escape from it. So Wes, this is a good podcast. It's just your story. Um, I'm glad you're alive. I'm glad you've got blue zoo aquariums. Aquariums bring life and hope. I have to thank God's, as you know, has been in your life, keeping you alive. I have to think that you work with the aquarium business and is bring, there's something about that. When I see an aquarium that just brings me peace and smiles to our kids and, you know, faces as we've been to aquariums and, um, I'm grateful for the work you've done in Ethiopia. I'm grateful just where you are in your life. And you're still a pretty young guy. You're 22 years younger than me. You've got a lot of life ahead of you. And I just wish you the best. And I'm glad you're staying connected to God and just being your very best personal self and sharing your story. Any final, I'll give you the final thoughts if anything else came to your mind, Wes. Oh, just that last thing when you said still connected to God. It took me a long time. Um, there was a lot of triggers and my only way I thought I could connect to God is through all the LDS ways. And there's a lot of things were really painful when I tried. Um, my, my funnest thing about the next last three months is I've decided to try spirituality in a different way. And I've done it through yoga. Um, like it's been a way for me to connect spiritually that I've lost over the last few years. Um, and it, it's not that I have any, again, it's not that I have any trouble against the LDS way or, um, or think that's wrong. It's just, I think we need to find our own spiritual path and what works and like finding God again. I think God's okay with us, you know, needing to work on some other things for a little while. I don't think we should be so upset at ourselves for that. But when we do reach back out, he's there for us. He loves us so much. And I'm super grateful for that. Um, you said that, so I had to have that final thought. <laughs> That's great. I agree with you, Wes. I think God is trying to talk to us in any any way he can, through art, through music, through yoga, through, you know, he certainly talks to me through my faith that I'm deeply committed to, but I think God would want to talk to all of his children in any way he can to help him them feel his love so that they can make better decisions going forward. So. This is Wes Hawes, H-A-W-S, from the Boise Airport, um, and Richard Osser from my home in Salt Lake via Zoom, and signing off on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. <laughs> <laughs>